0: Hi everyone, welcome to HubShots episode 178. In this episode, we look at how to test and measure when you can't measure, plus merging contacts. Gotcha in HubSpot. You're listening to Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot focus podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, features, and strategies for growing your marketing and sales results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Really good. And you know what's unusual about this episode? We're actually recording this during daylight hours.
1: I know. For once. So he came over, well, we had lunch together. That's right. We organized the show, and it's about four o'clock in the afternoon. It's a cracker of a day I'd have to so say. so good. But yeah, there's light. It's light as we record. Normally, we're recording late at night. So this is a bit of a treat for
0: us. Onto our growth strategy for the week, Craig, or our growth thought for the week.
1: Yeah, well, you know, this is something that I said a couple of episodes, we're going to chat about our approach to the podcast. Yes. Because this came up at the HubSpot user group back in September, and we're just going to mention our approach, and this might be useful to listeners, because we actually don't use the podcast as a top of the funnel piece, which people might think is weird. You know, aren't you trying to get new listeners? Aren't you trying to uh, grow your audience? Of course, everyone wants that and we do want that. And as our listenership grows, that's great. But it's actually not the key criteria. Actually, what we use it for, or I'll I'll talk about myself. You can chat, you're maybe a little bit different, but it's a credibility piece. So for me and our agency, it's very much bottom of the funnel. It's about showing our expertise. It's also about our credibility. And so rather than generating leads from the podcast, it's more about When we get a prospect, we're chatting with them. They look to the podcast to get confidence in us. So it's more of a closer. It's actually more of a sales tool at the end
0: than a marketing tool at the top. How do you feel? Is that similar for you? It has been very similar for me, Craig, and even more so probably in the last for this year, I would say. That's been a big big part of it. So I think I am trying to, with some of the stuff we're doing internally in our business and, you know, like we've been doing for ourselves is trying to drive more of that to the top of the funnel so to get people interested and
1: here's the thing a lot of our work just comes through referral so the question for well other agencies and small businesses is if you're getting a lot of work through referral should you should you actually be spending time at top of the funnel awareness and all these kind of bigger company playbooks and well no not really why would you spend money and time and effort uh, focusing on completely new audiences if you're getting referral, right? That's That makes sense for small business. But as you grow, of course, referral kind of plateaus and you do need to move more to an inbound marketing piece and much more top of the funnel. So we will be pushing there as we're growing. And I think that's probably our 2020 Correct. goal. We'll be doing a lot more of that, pushing the podcast out there, a bit more awareness. But anyway, I just thought that was perhaps interesting for our listeners and marketers in general. It's always about thinking what's the goal for each piece of content and the strategy behind it. Anyway, just an insight into ours.
0: All right, Craig, onto our HubSpot marketing feature of the week. And this is about how to change your email in HubSpot. Now, why I'm going to highlight this is that I had a customer of ours that has moved their emails from a .com domain to a .au or vice versa. And they wanted to know, well, how do I change this? Now, in previous... Times, I would have gone, oh, need to create a new user for yourself, go through the whole process, then reassign all the contacts to yourself. Anyway, you don't need to do that. If you go to your profile and preferences, you can actually edit your email address that's associated to your account. And then you'll have to go through the re-verification process again. But it means that now you don't have to go through all that malarkey that you used to do before. So there you go. Who would have thought it was that simple, eh? Just go uh, to your profile and update it. Thank you to HubSpot support for pointing that out to us. By the way, I was listening
1: when you had that HubSpot, because you called them, right? That's right. And uh, well, apart from some interesting on-hold music. I
0: know that. I know (laughs) on-hold music. I don't know about that. on-hold (laughs) music. Worth calling them
1: just to (laughs) listen to that. My goodness. But anyway, it's super helpful. I'm sure we have. But have we ever had a bad support experience? Gee, they're good.
0: If I think about this as the marketing and growth thought of the week, that's one thing that they've nailed. Support. All right. On to HubSpot sales feature of the week, Craig. Territory rotation with workflows. Shout out to Kyle for this blog
1: post. Jepson. Yep. They've been pushing a lot around workflows and you know how we love workflows. Right? I know. I, love I read this when, it,
0: when I got the email notification. It was actually really good. I think the message
1: from this more generally is you can do anything with workflows. That's where we're getting to the point where when someone has a question, how do I do this? It's not a standard feature. It's like, well, my go-to is I'm pretty sure we can work out how to do that in a workflow. So this is a good article on this. In this case, territories and assigning them, rotation. So a good, good post to just go through and get an insight into that.
0: All right, onto the HubSpot gotcha of the week, Craig. And this is to do with the side effects of merging contacts. Now, I'm liking this feature in HubSpot, right? But and be getting notifications, and my customers are getting notifications. They're like, "What? What is this merging contacts stuff?" Anyway, we're going to tell you that there is a gotcha to this. That would happen, especially if you're running workflows on the back end that rely on contact properties. There are things that get triggered when you merge, merge workflows. So tell us more, Craig.
1: Well, you know, I almost want to say with workflows, after just talking about how awesome they are, as we do every episode, it's kind of like with great power comes great responsibility, so to speak. Workflows, uh, they can be very powerful, but they can also have gotchas like this. Now, we actually mentioned this way back, I think at the start of the year in episode 149. Yes, we did where we talked about merging contacts and this, basically this side effect that many people I don't think are aware of. And what it is, let's say you've got contact A and you're going to merge it into contact B. Now contact B, let's say they signed up on the site, they'd filled in a form and then it said some thank you emails, put them in a nurture, right? Let's say they did that a year ago. So that's contact B. And that's the one you're merging into. Now, contact A might just be a variation of their email address. If you happen to notice it, because you got one of these nice notifications from HubSpot, thanks for sending those out. So you go along, yeah, right, I'll, I'll just put HubSpot contact A into B. So you merge it, bang, suddenly all those workflows that contact B have already been through get triggered again for contact A. And so this can be quite puzzling, quite distressing for for clients as well it's like, right, well, how did this happen? Well, here's the side effect. And you know what? A slight criticism of HubSpot for this, because even though they've got a support article that talks about potential downsides, and we've got that linked in the show notes, when they send these emails out saying you've got all these contacts to merge and they have that list, they don't make it clear. There might be a little message, uh, you know, be aware that there could be these effects. But I actually think this is a big gotcha and it's causing confusion for clients. And I think it's going to be a big problem that HubSpot's got on their hands. Anyway, how do you get around it? Which, of course, is the key. Now, we've got a bit of a workaround, and we went through this back in 149, episode 149, and it involves creating exclusion lists. And one of the things you might know in workflows is you can have exclusion lists or suppression lists that basically if someone is in one of these exclusion lists, they don't go through the workflow. And we have this process with the clients. We have this whole process where if we're going to merge contacts We put those contacts into an exclusion list so that they don't get triggered into workflows, or if they do, they're just excluded from the workflow. We put them into those exclusion lists. We then merge the contacts, and then we take those contacts out of the exclusion list. Well, the resulting finalized contact, at least. And that's the way you get around it. So it's quite manual. You actually have to go through all your contacts and put them in this exclusion list, then remember to take them out in order to stop this side effect of the workflows Now, that's the workaround at the moment. I hope HubSpot come up with a better kind of option. For example, what I'd love is just when you merge, an option that says do not trigger any workflows, as simple as that. Uh, That's really what they need. I think they'll bring that out because I think there's going to be a problem for clients. Anyway, that's the gotcha and that's the workaround at the moment. Go and listen to episode 149, shot two for more details on
0: that. Excellent. Now on to our marketing tip of the week, Craig. No more mixed HTTP and HTTPS content messages and Chrome will block HTTP content. So this, listeners, is sites that haven't been transitioned to a secure, have a security certificate and are secure. And within that, there's obviously images and other assets that get cool. So previously, people might have known of this as mixed content warnings where the site might actually be secure but it's calling assets that are actually on an insecure server. And what Chrome does is it basically highlights to you and says, oh, this is unsafe. Do you want to proceed, right? So what have they done, Craig? Well, this is in an upcoming release.
1: What they're going to do is instead of just giving warnings, they're just going to block that resource. Your page loads and let's say there's an insecure HTTP resource, an image would be a common one. They just won't show it. It'll just be kind of... Rendered
0: out, yeah. Rendered out, yeah. Yeah, okay. so that there's no chance. So, I mean, this is really interesting. I'll tell you why. Because people that haven't gone through the due diligence in the process of upgrading to a secure site properly are going to have this problem. Like, I, I'm only telling you this because we have gone through a process with uh, customers over the last few years where we've actually gone through, checked all the mixed content warnings, made sure that everything's being called correctly. And then there are other people in that we've dealt with who are like, oh, no, don't worry, just apply the certificate. Don't worry about it, it'll all be good. These are the people that are going to suffer very soon when it comes to these.
1: Yeah, look, I think it depends on the hosting and also plugins. Like in WordPress, you can get plugins that force all the resources. Uh, one of the things I will say about this upcoming Chrome release is that they're going to be smart about it. So they're going to, let's say it's just an HTTP image, so non secure. They will check for the HTTPS version, and if it's there, that will load that instead. So it's doing some smarts in the background. Thanks, Chrome. That's actually a good thing. But if it, they can't find the secure one, bang, they're just going to leave it out.
0: First thing, make sure you've got a security certificate. Second, once you've done that, check for mixed content warnings, and then go through an appropriate remediation to get all of that fixed before this rolls out so you don't get affected. All right, Craig, on to our inside of the week. Our little, uh, what do I call it, our maxim test and measure, that we always talk about. And thank you to Chris. We just spoke to Chris <laughs> about he talked Chris about testing. our
1: producer, who is helping us test and measure to get our audio
0: quality even better. Thanks, Chris. And this is something that you were telling me over lunch, which totally bypassed me, but metrics on videos in Facebook are totally
1: wrong. That's right. So let me give you a bit of the background to this, just quickly, because the background's interesting, but the I guess the ramifications of it are even more important. So this all goes back a couple of years to when Facebook was rolling out video and they were giving stats on average video view time. They calculated it incorrectly. And I think this goes back to starting in 2015. And the reason this came to light is because there was a class action or legal action actually taken against Facebook in 2016 about them incorrectly reporting the stats. Now, just quickly, what they had done is in terms of calculating average view time, they were taking all the time that it was viewed and then instead of dividing by the total number of people who might've just started watching a view, remember how the videos used to autoplay, just starting as they're scrolling through, they only divided it by the number of people who were actually called a viewer. So the kinds of people that watched for at least three seconds or four seconds to count as a view. The difference is, if you only divided by that smaller number of people, the average view time looks really high. Whereas if it was divided by actually the number of people that indirectly just started it, then it was much lower. So the point is that their numbers or the the metrics were inflated by... Well, multiples up to, and some people claiming 800%, et cetera. So that's all the background. Now, this has all come out, that all started in 2016. It's all come out now recently because as part of that ongoing legal action, they've had access to internal Facebook communication, like hundreds and hundreds of pages of emails and so forth. And it turns out Facebook knew about this for more than a year before they did anything about it, even though so they're saying, oh, sorry, small calculation error. Yeah, you know, we've fixed it, minimal effect, Right. What's coming out now is that it was massively overestimated or overinflated numbers. And they knew about it for ages. They did nothing about it and they didn't bother. It wasn't a concern, right? Okay, so that's the history. What's the ramifications of that? The ramifications are lots of things. First of all, people were moving ad budgets from other platforms onto Facebook. Because you remember a couple of years ago, everyone's like, oh, video, video is the future, right? And of course it is. But the numbers on Facebook seem so good and so cheap as a result, that people were pushing whole budgets away from, say, YouTube and other platforms onto Facebook. And the problem is, because the numbers are inflated, they weren't getting the results they expected. Maybe you're expecting similar results to what you get on YouTube, but it's not happening on Facebook, etc. So there's been whole, I guess, marketing budgets pushed into a platform or a medium, which has been false. Like, In fact, not only a mistake, but you could actually say deliberately withheld. So here comes the question, because we're always saying test and measure. How do we test and measure if we can't actually measure accurately, if you can't be confident? And so that's what I want to chat about today in this insight. So, but before we go on, I've spoken kind of for a a bit there. Did you want to make any comments about that and maybe some action items from your point of view before I, yeah, go on a bit?
0: Yeah, so I think one of the actions here is we all know that especially when we work within HubSpot, there's a lot of analytics in there. We also always put in their Google Analytics, so we have a second point of reference. Now, it might not always be exactly 100% because people measure things differently in terms of what's the duration that this measurement takes into account before it actually gets measured, which can be different, so giving you different results. But regardless to say, there are all these different points that or analytics packages that we can use to collect data so if you're using particular package to collect data about your videos then you should be able to tell is the video playback or the points at which people are dropping off or playing is it that the same as what's being reported that's essentially what i want to say it's like having a second point of reference actually you've highlighted
1: one thing which is you want to get them off facebook onto your site in some point so One of the keys to coming around this is not only engagement, but actually conversion stats. So you get them to your site. So you might have a Facebook video, but the call to action is to get them to your site so that you can actually compare whether it's working. So for all these people that move budget away from YouTube to Facebook, there should have been an end result, which was, is it actually building audiences that drive people to your website or to some other conversion action, not just engagement metric. However, your point around having multiple analytics packages is perfect because there's multiple video platforms. So another, I guess, takeaway from this is don't just choose one channel and solely put all your budget there. You might start with one channel, but then you've got to grow it out. So for example, if you're running a number of videos on Facebook, run them on YouTube, run them on LinkedIn, run them on Twitter, run them on various platforms and check across each. Because if Facebook is looking ridiculously good in terms of engagement, perhaps something's wrong. Mm. And this could be any of the other platforms. You know, it could be Twitter in the future, it could be yep. LinkedIn, who knows? They're probably all going to have problems. But at least by having multiple platforms that you're using, you can actually compare and work out some anomalies. But then the main takeaway is you've got to get them back to a conversion action. And by conversion action, we're ultimately talking about getting an email address. If you can get that, that's the, uh, I guess, the gold at the end to compare across the channels.
0: All right, Craig, onto our podcast of the week. And this is a business casual podcast from Morning Brew. And Morning Brew is one of the, probably one of our, the emails we read every I day. I love right? this
1: in terms of a daily email newsletter. We've talked about this before. There's not many I read every day.
0: That's right. Morning this Brew is, is why, one of them. Anyway, they've got a great podcast and they've been interviewing some really interesting people. So I would encourage you to listen to it. It just broadens your horizon on the different things people are out there doing. And I love it. Isn't it interesting how these, We'll call them
1: news sites are moving into other mediums. So Morning Brew moving away, not away, but complementing an email Email. newsletter, which is they're famous for, with a podcast. I'm not sure where it was, Netflix maybe the other day, but New York Times, of course, and they have these little video documentaries. I think it's called 15 Minutes, or they're little little stories by the New York Times, turning what is a written piece into a video piece, and they're all really good. So, yeah, we're seeing this move into other mediums.
0: All right, now we've got a couple of resources of the week. Craig, Ask Google Webmasters. There was a question in there. Is it a problem if my page has multiple heading one tags? And the answer is? The answer is no. This actually came to a, as a surprise to me
1: because as a long-time SEO, it's always been, look, just try and have one H1 heading one. That's a heading one, H1. Only have eight, one H1 tag on your site. And there still is good reason to do it because Google looks at it as a sign of, rele- you know, what's what's the page about Hierarchy, like, right? Yeah, hierarchy. Yeah. But, yeah, Google's like, no, nah, have as many as you want. That's fine. You know, if it highlights important things, that's good. Use it for readability. So we've got um, John Mueller from Google, little webmaster hangout talking about
0: that in the show notes. Yeah, and listeners, if you don't know about John Mueller and those hangouts that he does, I'd encourage you, if you're not in your business doing this, share this with the person that is because I think there's some really good information in there that you can often use and pick up. And often a lot of myths are get dispelled and what we often hear out there in the marketplace, if you listen to the source and go, oh, hang on, that's just rubbish, you don't have to worry about it, right? And don't have to waste it's your time picking really, Well,
1: it. Look, look, let me put a caveat on that because, <laughs> you know, I, I'm always cynical about Google, right? Yes. So when they give guidance like this, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's fine. But when they give some other guidance, sometimes I'm like, yeah, well, that seems to work well for Google, maybe not for people, you know, like always, always be running ads on your brand, I guess, is that, (laughs) you know, it's like, yeah, okay, so that's, I don't know if that's the best advice from Google, but uh, yeah.
0: Anyway, test and measure, I say. Test and measure. All right, the quote of the week, Craig. Okay, so why'd you pick this? Well, I picked this because you gave me a book. It's called The Suit Book. Everything You Need to Know About Wearing a Suit by Claire Scheng. And one of the quotes in this book was, dressing well is a form of good manners, and it's from Tom Ford. Now, you've read this book, and you, you really like this book.
1: I really like this book, and and listeners, I'll just say, like, I'm your typical nerdy geek. I dress badly, um, well, badly. I dress comfortably. Well, I dress let's, comfortably.
0: Uh, Craig, let's, have, let's say I put it this way. You dress comfortably, and ever since I've known you, you – have like this, let, let me say, like if you've got five shirts that are all the same, or you yeah. probably have more, right?
1: I, I have 10 shirts. 10 shirts all that are the all the same. same. He's yeah. got
0: 10 t-shirts that are all the same. He's got three pairs of shoes that are all the same. So if that's any indication. Look, it, it,
1: it's just efficiency. It's easy. I'm not going to pretend I'm Barack Obama or um who, uh, Zuckerberg, you know, I'm so busy that, you know, it resolves decisions. It's just like, it's easy and it's comfortable, right? So I've been like this anyway. I'm trying to dress better. Can you believe this? That's right. I'm trying to lift my game, but um, it's you know, good.
0: Was, <laughs> I'm impressed. Let's we'll see how we
1: go. So, so far,
0: so far, Craig has gone with a new pair of RM Williams. Okay. I'm really excited. About that.
1: <laughs> I'm trying to wear better shoes, better pants, better. Sho- I'm actually getting things tailored now. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, we'll see how we go. Why are we telling you? That? Actually, why are we telling the listeners this? I don't know if they need to know this. But anyway, this book had an impact. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Because this book had an impact on me because we were chatting before. Ignorance is bliss. That's exactly After right. After reading this How to Dress Well now, I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm just so – I'm badly dressed and I notice it all the time. And so ignorance was bliss when I didn't know. Oh, well, I'm trying to improve.
0: So there we go, listeners. Now, there are a couple of bonus links in the show, so I encourage you to check it out. What else can I say? Test and measure. Test and measure. Well, Craig, until next time. Catch you later, Ian. Thank you for listening to this episode of HubShots. For show notes, resources, HubSpot news, including practical strategies you can implement, visit us at hubshots.com.